This week's show is from the Wiggly Garden and I'm joined today by... Farmer Phil. And Rach. And I'm Heather. No Skylark today yet. But a cockerel. <laughs> right on cue. <laughs> this week we've got all sorts. We're going to find out about mealworms and fledglings. But first, we've got a Montycast, a weekly fact about composting. A Monty compost cast. A weekly fact on composting. Find a level, well-drained area and site your bin or your heap on soil or a lawn. This way you can take advantage of microbes or earthworms which will come up into your compost from below. Thanks, Monty. Farmer Phil, you've been letting your cattle out. We have, yep. Yeah. It's quite complicated for us to let the cattle out because we have the two farms 25 miles apart. We have to move cattle both ways and that means we have to be convinced that the weather and the grass is going to be good enough for them to stay out because we don't have the option of bringing them back in. So you mean you do it later than we the normal We tend farm. to do it a little bit later but this year we're much earlier than last year and I mean this weather is just glorious if you're a cow. So what would be the risk then because cows are supposed to live outside aren't they? Well so the risk is if they eat the grass and it doesn't grow and we still have that risk because we're so short of rain but luckily we've got quite a lot of acres. Why don't, don't you just give them extra hay? Well we've eaten our hay for the winter time and sold it to other people. Yeah now is the time. Well what would you feed them if they were inside? Well that's the point that, that we have enough just for now just for a couple of weeks but they have to go out at some point and there's been a very strong market over the winter for forage so that we haven't got any spare now is the time why don't you leave them out all the time and then you could just supplement it and you wouldn't have so much to spend to do that um, because then the cows and calves use all their energy trying to keep warm they would be up to their guts in mud we're in a rainfall area which is sort of averages 32, 34, 36 inches, that sort of thing, that's a normal year, up to 44. And because most of that falls in the wintertime, it would just trash the fields. Then we would have no grass in the summer. We would also be had up for cruelty to the cattle because they would look absolutely miserable. And of course, trying to carve cattle outside is difficult because you can't keep up with them and you're carving little small calves into inclement weather, they'll get cold. So it's much safer to bring them in for the winter time in deep littered straw yards, carve the majority of them, get mother and calf settled and going on well, and then you can turn the pair of them out onto grass for the summer. I see. So these cows have gone in and out for many years on the whole because they're sort of older and they're experienced. Yep. So do you think they're looking forward to this day? Oh, totally. They, really? You can tell that they, if, if they detect that it's sunny outside, when you go to put the, the um, straw and hay in the yard, they want to get out of the door. <laughs> they don't particularly want to go very far, but they just want to stand outside in the sun. And we've got loafing yards around our cattle yard so that we can let them out and they can stand outside the yard in the sun. But yeah, the warmth on their backs, I mean, you'll hear in a minute that you can see them walk out into the field on a sunny afternoon as it was yesterday, and you can just see them stretch and say, oh, that's just so, so pleasant. Mm. Do you do the same with your cattle, right? We do, so yeah. stay in for the winter and then... Exactly, exactly the same, except for ours go out in, because we've got a lot less than Phil, so they go out in little bunches here, there and everywhere, and they're exactly the same. They start mooing because they know it's time to go out. They know the time is now and they're looking forward to going out too 
but you know there's a few late calvers so they stay in until they've calved and then they join the rest of the group later on. But basically this is the first time that many of those calves will be in, uh, had the sun on their back and totally. the grass beneath their feet so let's go and listen to Farmer Phil letting his cows out in the year 2011. So the day has come for the cattle to go out to grass and we've got glorious sunny day here at Blakemere and we're enjoying one of the driest springs we've had for years and so the juggling act of working out whether we've got enough grass and the weather forecast is good enough to turn the cattle out without the risk of having to bring them back in we've got to the point that I think we've got to take the plunge and out they shall go. The grass is growing and although it is dry here in Herefordshire we're fortunate in many ways that we will be among the last places in the country to dry out to the point of being a problem and the sooner the cattle go out in many ways the better particularly with the calves you get away from any disease problems uh, you know they're getting more fresh air and sunshine both of which are good for them and of course they start to eat grass to supplement the milk they're having from their mothers. One of the little jobs we've got to do before we turn out, the, the bulls have been with those cows that have calved since the 23rd of March, that equates to starting calving next year on the 1st of January, and it's quite important that we note down which cows are with which bull, for the obvious reasons that we've got to make sure that we don't put cows that are related to the bull with him, but also from a traceability and recording point of view we've got to know which calves are by which bull and so we'll jot down which cows are in which group this year it'll be Penguin and Erastus who take the larger groups over to Campston down near Abergavenny and so they'll go and enjoy the view over the Skirid down in Wales and that's really the reason why we can't turn out very soon because once we've taken the cattle down to the farm down there it's very difficult to bring them back if the weather turns particularly vile so we've got to try and make sure that they're ready to go out and the weather is going to be clement another little job we have to do one of the things that happens when you feed cattle fresh grass they can end up running short of magnesium, a trace element that they require. And they get something called staggers or grass staggers, which uh, effectively makes them initially stagger around and then fall over. And they will lie on the ground thrashing about. And if you don't do anything about it at that point, they will die fairly soon afterwards. Certainly the adults will. And so what we do is to meter magnesium salts into their water so that as long as they drink water they will get the required magnesium and that will keep them on the straight and narrow that way. Apart from that they will require no hard food once we put them out to grass, the, the new grass will be more than sufficient for them. So we'll go and record who's with who and who's going where and we will then await the lorry to load them up to take them down to Wales. These lorries are purpose-built for carrying cattle, so they're made out of aluminium and are divided up into pens no longer than 10 foot long, so they have about four or five cows in each pen and in this case we can have two decks of cattle or if this lorry was used for sheep you'd have four decks of sheep 
but there's cattle walk into it perfectly willingly. They're very happy. Uh, if they didn't like it, we'd have a hell of a job to get them onto the lorry. So it seems to work all right. So here we are at Campston. The cattle, first load of cattle have just arrived and you can hear them coming off the lorry now. The calves are upstairs in the lorry, double-decker, and they're just looking at their first sight of grass for this year. We might have a little bit of difficulty persuading the calves to come off the lorry because it's a new experience for them and they don't like coming downhill off the ramp. But their mothers have already decided that the grass is greener and they're off across the field at a brisk trot. So we'll try and push the calves off now and see how we get on. The cattle are just walking out now to the field that we want them to be in. The calves have never seen grass before, they've, they've not been out in the field before, they've of course have been born since Christmas. Some of the older cows they've seen it all before, some of the younger ones are skipping about, running around. Erastus, who's only young himself, he's, it's the first time he's been turned out with a larger bunch of cows, so he's quite excited and rounding them up and pushing them this way and that. And I'm looking out across towards the Black Mountains, the sun is hot on their backs and it's just perfect. There's a fresh bite of grass for them and some of them looking at looking a little bit sort of weary from the winter inside but they'll soon perk up with a bit of sun on their backs and it's one of those sights that really um, is a highlight of the year is to see the cattle go out for the first time in the spring. Nice there, wasn't it? Wow, yippee! There they go. <laughs> I, have, I have to say, as a, as a, a little bit on the end, that after I recorded that piece, I let Fred out, Trojan Fred, with his. He's got uh, six young girls to deal with first this year, so he'll have a few more later on. <laughs> but uh, he, he obviously has been uh, deprived of his women. We put all the other bulls in on the 23rd of March, but Freddie has been left on his own and he's been very good tempered about it but yesterday he went out and he strode into the trailer and he shouted his head off all the way to the field and when he got to the field he walked into the field in which his girls were waiting for him and he just stood there and looked at the view because it's quite high up and he trumpeted and shouted his mouth off to all the world and then galloped down the field to his women and sorted them out. And it was just a picture to see this quite porky little Hereford bull telling the world that he was there and that was that. And you've had trouble with a, a cow that's a little bit too keen for her own good. Yes, she's been a very silly cow, she has. Last year, for reasons that we don't fully understand, she... Um, well, we do understand why she had mastitis. She got a summer mastitis in one quarter, which... What number is this? She's South Devon 20. She's a homebred cow, big pedigree South Devon cow, and she got mastitis in one quarter because her calf had died sadly earlier on. It had had an internal hemorrhage of some sort, and we've no idea why, but that, that's just um, died. So we dried the cow off, and then she got summer mastitis in one quarter. So we treated that. 
She then got emphysema and was very ill, so that she got all fluid under her skin and gas. And <laughs> we treated oh, and treated not her. Not good, is it? And we, we got her somewhere near, and then over the winter, obviously, because she hasn't been in calf, she's just been resting, and she was absolute picture of health. And so we're thinking we'll get her around to the point of coming bullying again, and then we can get her back on target. And that was all very fine and large until she duly came on bullying and thought she could jump the gate. And I found her in the morning hung over the top of the gate, and she is a big cow. And she hadn't probably been there half an hour, but the gate was sufficiently strong and sufficiently high that she could just touch the ground with her back legs, which couldn't touch the ground with her front legs, so she couldn't get off the gate. And in the context of doing that, she had broken a rib, she had torn a lot of the muscles round her middle, and she had a six-inch hole in one side. So we retrieved her from the gate with the help of a bale and the JCB, and quite surprisingly she could walk. And so we got the vet to her and investigated, stitched her up, and I'm pleased to say that she is doing well, but it looks as if we've now got another nursing job to get her back to full health and I don't know, there'll be a lot of scar tissue and a lot of damage, so I don't know whether actually she has a future as a breeding cow thanks to that, but it did seem rather a pity after all that effort that the silly moo had gone and done that. Monty was horrified. Mm. He came in and said he'd never seen anything so gory in his life. Well, the but then again, last night, he watched Britain's Fattest Man and he said the same thing. <laughs> the thing is that they, they are very resilient animals and they're very big animals, so that... When you stick your hand through a hole in an animal's side and deal with it and find out what it is, it does look gory. But having said that, she gets up and down. She lies on both sides despite having a broken rib. And so, so far, so good. She's covered by antibiotics so that she, she shouldn't suffer illness as a result of it. She's eating, drinking, and as long as we can keep her clean, the prognosis is pretty good. But I would agree that we've had to leave a fairly large hole in her side so that it can drain. I do hope that mm. hasn't put you off your muesli. <laughs> but your she is looking good so far. <laughs> good, good. But Does it is. mean she will, she'll miss several bullying seasons I now? And suspect so she'll that be late calving if she, she does may, get calved. Yeah. I think she, she may, I'm afraid, be over on the basis that the damage is such yeah. that I think that probably we won't bother trying to put her in calf. Oh. But she will be nursed back to health. I yeah. She sealed her own fate, didn't she? Well, she has, really. Here's a question in from Megan. Just let the tractor go by. What's he off to do, Phil? He's putting fungicides and growth regulator on winter barley. Oh, how organic. Not. OK, so um, here's a question in from Megan. How's Hev's garden growing? Is she liking gardening any more than she did at first? Well, you know, on the whole... It's looking pretty good, is it? Yeah. I've got to plant my veggies now because I've got my plot, my ready plot. I've taken the seed heads out of my rhubarb, so I'm particularly proud of my rhubarb. I have, well, a stunning display of tulips all over the garden. I've not yet recovered my greenhouse, which has had a little storm damage. Well, all the glass has flown out. But I've dug over my veggie beds, I've weeded everything. It needs a little bit more work. The paths are done. The marsh marigolds around the pond are stunning. But Rach says we need some barley straw inside the pond. Yep, let's get uh, some barley straw in it now. 
and then as soon as that greeny algae horrible stuff appears mm. it'll be on top of it straight away there's rumors that alan titchmarsh is coming to visit at the end of may and if that's confirmed i can assure you I'll be putting extra effort into the pruning and tidying and weeding. Well, the good news is that we've done most of the pruning that we uh, should have done, so we cut the hedge and that's ah, yes. the treat. And cut the hedge when, Phil? We cut the hedge in the wintertime. Yeah, and um, the RSPB are warning everyone at this time, please don't prune, don't cut your hedge or your bushes because there might be nests inside there and birds could be scared or injured and they might ab abandon their eggs or chicks. And Rachel, there's lots of mealworms going out at the moment, isn't there? Loads of mealworms going out at the moment. I was talking to a customer was it yesterday or the day before, a lady down in London ordering mealworms. She's got a robin already that's coming to the feeder and taking beakfuls back to the nest. Yeah. And she can't keep up with demand, so uh, <laughs> something's <laughs> happened in that nest. <laughs> Because as you probably know, usually they eat them while they are there on the actual dish. But yeah. if they're stuffing their beaks full yeah. of mealworms, you can almost be sure that they're going to feed their young. I've got some facts on mealworms for you. Mealworms are very nutritious. They're high in protein and fat and they make an excellent food source. The best way to eat them while retaining the nutritional value is raw. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I'll be taking some for lunch then. Well, I know we've said it before, but the most crucial thing is, and given that how dry it is around these parts, that for a fledgling, the mealworm is the only source of moisture it can get. So well, it's not. All insects provide moisture. Well, yes, but a mealworm is a very good supply of moisture, and they only get moisture from live food, is what I should have said. That's exactly what you should and have said. And the point is that while it's hot and dry... It's particularly important for fledglings because if they don't get enough moisture, they will dry out and die, effectively. Hmm. This is probably the most crucial time of year to keep feeding your birds because even the seed means that the adults stay okay and they can take the mealworms to the nest. And the real shame of it is everyone thinks, oh, it's warmer now, they'll be fine. Imagine, you've got all your babies there hmm. and you've got no berries, no real source of food except live food. Oh gosh, yes. it's a toughie, real yeah. toughie. So if you have been feeding in the winter, keep feeding now, even if you stop in the height of summer, because this is, this is a real crucial time for them. Here we go, here's our latest iTunes review. Thank you very much. Keep them coming, because we love to hear from you, and we very much appreciate any guidance to what you enjoy on the show and what you hate. I love this podcast, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm missing it during the break in transmission. It's quirky, informative, fascinating and warm-hearted. Wiggly's products are excellent too. Between these and the podcasts, I have become more interested in and in tune with our city garden and also more popular with the birds. Who is it from, Rach? It's from Timbo Haynes. Thank you, Timbo, very much. The life cycle of a mealworm undergoes a four-stage metamorphosis. The first stage is the egg, then the larvae, followed by the pupae, and finally the adult. They're usually used for feeding reptiles and fish, but also birds. They are really good fishing bait. Well, we all knew that, didn't we? An adult mealworm is a small, dark brown or black beetle with a hard shell. During the adult stage, the beetle is nocturnal and lives only to eat and grow. Don't we all? Mm -hmm. They are very bad news in your grain store. Mealworms are scavengers that infest and eat grains, such as flour, cornmeal, oats and wheats. 
That is why they are called mealworms and classified as a pest. Oh, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? That's very harsh. There we are. They're very easy to come by, they're no trouble to propagate, and they have loads of uses. They are the larvae of a tenebrio beetle. There we are. They measure one to one and a quarter inches long at maturity, and they are medium brown to dark brown. That's good. And we've got oh, lots of them in our fridge. We've got loads of them <laughs> ready for all those orders for the fledglings. Hot news in. Hey Hay Festival. Festival. We're going to start preparing for Hay Festival very shortly. The garden is still there, so we've got to get over there and just sort a few things out on it. Should if be you, looking good. If you want to know more about Hay Festival, it's now sponsored by The Telegraph. Just Google Hay Festival. There's all sorts of people coming this year. And we've got a garden right in the middle, and we'd be very pleased to see you any time over the festival period. You can join us for a glass of apple juice. In the meantime, from the Wiggly Garden, on the most glorious day, it's time to plant your spuds. If you haven't got them in, do it now. Get your dibber going. Bye from me, Heather. Me, Rach. Bye from me, Farmer Phil. <laughs>